0: chapter 12, Saul has just uh, had his first victory in chapter 11, and we looked at how foolish it is to go anywhere else to look for salvation uh, other than the Lord. And at the end of uh, chapter 11, you get this sense of a little bit of cockiness in the people of Israel as Saul is now their king. Saul says victory came from the Lord, but there's other people that want to put to death those who didn't trust in Saul. And you can just start to see now we're on track. This this feeling of we have our king, things are going to be Okay. And then we get to chapter 12 and we don't know if these events were immediately following chapter 11. Uh, most people think it was a while later. But here's what we read. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12 starting verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed Your voice and made all that You you have said said to me, I have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord, before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I'll restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from man's hand. And He said to them, The Lord is witness against you and is anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in My hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead before the Lord concerning all our plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds the Lord has performed for you and for your fathers. Then Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera commander of the army of Hazar, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Baals and the Astra. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak, and Jep- Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, are, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well with you. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It is not wheat harvest, or is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord and he will send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking yourselves a king." So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder, that day, thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty... For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what the great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. Well, what we have in this chapter is a culmination of Samuel's ministry. And I don't know what you felt as. We read through that. But I hope uh, to share with you key things that stuck out to me that in a sense left me a little concerned. Have you ever felt that feeling of uneasiness after a conversation maybe? Maybe you talked to somebody, someone asked you, did that conversation go well? and you don't really know if it went well or didn't go well, but you just have this lingering feeling of uneasiness? Have you ever felt troubled in your spirit where emotionally you just aren't all together because of a certain conversation? Uh, I can think of one time I was going to ask Dave if I could share the story, and he's not here, so hopefully he would have said yes. (laughs) But uh, a year and a half ago or so, Scott and I were at seminary uh, together for a week, and uh, we got word that Dave had become really sick, and they didn't know what was going on at first, He was having back problems and he had infection in his spine. Well, one of the first nights we were there, then we got word we talked to David and Nancy and the doctors thought it was this certain form of blood cancer. And uh, we kind of wrote down what kind he said it was. And Scott's room and our room where we 're kind of side by side, I think Laura and Amy were there, and we were both on the internet looking up that form of cancer. Well, what we found out is if you catch it in the first stage, you might have like eight to ten months to live. If you catch it in the later stage, you don 't have any time at all, and so you got two young elders sitting here going what what are we going to do with?" You know, if the Lord takes David. And so then through that week, we just were carrying the, this heaviness, not knowing how our brother is doing. And we knew later in the week that at this certain time, they were going to find out for sure what it was, what the diagnosis was. They had to do different tests. And I was doing Nate's wedding rehearsal that night. And so right before the rehearsal started, I saw I had a message from David. And so I really quick went in the bathroom because all day I was feeling this anxiety. And I get this message from David and he's choked up on the other line telling me to call him. Well, I, I figure I don't need to hear anymore. I know. But the answer is going to be. All night, really troubled in spirit. Um, and then when we got out, we called Nancy, and David was really sedated. and She said, it's not cancer. <laughs> now, David is suffering big time. A lot of pain. And I wanted to strangle him in that moment. <laughs> I'm like, when he gets better, he's in big trouble because... Here I'm thinking it's the worst news ever because of the message. And thank the Lord that it ended up not being what they thought it was going to be. But that feeling after that message that I had is a little bit of the feeling I get when I read this chapter. And I think uh, you'll see... uh, what I'm talking about. And I call this Samuel's courtroom. Because really, you can look at this text as Samuel pretty much playing every position in a court of law. You see him right away. He puts himself on trial before the Lord with Israel and Saul as witness against himself. Um, And then we're going to see that... uh, he acts as a prosecuting attorney, that he acts as an advocate, a defense attorney, as a witness of good news, as a judge, and then lastly, this feeling of just ultimately lacking something. And so, let's look at this first section as... uh, As you see in your notes, Samuel on trial. Subtitle, Listen to the Validated Word. Now what what does Samuel do here? He's showing that you can trust My Word and I've been a faithful prophet. Way back in chapter 3, we saw that the Lord had given a prophet in Israel when there wasn't Any prophets when the word of God was rare, God had this little baby be born in a miraculous way so that Israel would have someone to speak the truth to them. And it's interesting that he, you know, he says, whose ox have I taken? Um, whose donkey have I taken? And the interesting thing here is, he could say anything, but what has He already said to the people about the king that they wanted? You remember back in chapter 8? he said In verse 16, He said, He, meaning the king you asked for, He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to His work He will take the tenth of your flocks and you'll be his slaves. And Samuel's saying, when have I ever taken your donkeys? I've been faithful to you through the Lord, but he's going to turn on them. After verse 6, he's going to say, put me on trial. Have I wronged you? And the people say, no, you haven't wronged us, Samuel. You're clear, so Samuel as the defendant sitting there, God as his judge, the people judging him with the king, the anointed judging him, verdict, not guilty. But then notice in verse 7, he turns into a sort of prosecuting attorney as he begins to recount all the times a summary of how the Lord has saved them in the past to show them how wicked their desire for a human king like the nations is. It wasn't wrong for them to desire a king because we saw back in Deuteronomy that the Lord was going to one day give Israel king, but they wanted a king like the nations. And when did they want that king? When Nahash... Remember Nahash from chapter 11 who bores out the right eye of his enemies and those he makes his servants? When they saw the Ammonites coming and King Nahash coming, They scrambled and they said, give us a king like the nations. We need to be like them. We need protection. And Samuel's saying, look at at verse 7, now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that He performed for you and for your fathers. And then look at verse 9, You know, after Jacob and his family is in in Egypt and their descendants are taken into slavery and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, then verse 9 says, but they forgot the Lord their God. This is what your forefathers did. The Lord would deliver them. He was a good God. But they forgot Him. And they turned from him and would serve Baal and the gods of the foreign lands. You know, in verse 11, he's talking about the Lord sent Jerubal, and this is better known as Gideon. He sent Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel to, to deliver you out of the hands of your enemy on every side. And then he says, when you saw Nahash the king of the Ammonites coming against you, well, you asked for a king to reign over you. You see his argument as the prosecuting attorney? The Lord has always been there for His people, but you didn't want Him. You wanted someone else it's real easy here to look at them and say how foolish but it doesn't take a wicked king coming to threaten to bore out our right eye to get us to go after other gods it takes way less than that for us to begin looking for our way out without going to the Lord. You know, whenever the latest crisis comes, sometimes we'll label it as the last straw. I've been through this, 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 and this, and I've had it. I can't do any more. I know the Lord's sovereign, but I can't handle this. What are we saying? Yes, the Lord has been Faithful over and over and over again. But now, this new challenge, this new temptation, this new fear is too great and i got to take it into my own hands. Enough with faith. And we can do that subtly. No one really seeing it nearly every day of our life. And look at what he says in verse 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And then he says this, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him, obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord will God, Your God, it'll be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So, what did you just hear there? What do you think the people of Israel just heard there? Do you think they heard good news? Oh, well, if we just follow the Lord and our king follows the Lord, then it'll all be well with us. But if you don't, then this great, mighty God who has power over all of His enemies will take His hand off his enemies and put it on you. You know, it's like, so what are you doing, Samuel? Is this a pep talk? Because it seems like it's kind of good news, but then it really doesn't feel like good news. I mean, what's the chances this works out good? I mean, what does history tell us? A hundred and, or 280 years later, in 721, the northern kingdom of Israel is gone. The hand of the Lord wipes them out. And then, less than 500 years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, is in Babylonian, Babylonian captivity. And the hand of the Lord was on the wicked kings of Israel and the adulterous people of Israel. So my guess is they felt not so much good news with what was said thus far. And then especially, look at, look at this. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. So it's wheat harvest that means it's May or June and it rarely ever rains in May or June. And he says, "Look at this sign, it's going to thunder and rain." And then it's amazing cuz then they feared then they feared God and Samuel it says. <laughs> and I I'm, I'm just reading this going, "This is what we're like," isn't it? Oh, yeah, you know, that's wrong to be doing this. We're just like our fathers. But then all of a sudden, you realize God is a living God. And God thunders and rains and validates these words that the prophet is speaking. And they realize he's ready for action. God means it. Thank God for those times in our lives when maybe we're playing fast and loose with sin. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And somehow God comes in and scares us with His reality. And the devastation that can come from not being With Him. I mean, so, most of you know, one of the things I like to do, much to my wife's dismay, is chase storms or at least observe them or spot them from a really safe distance. But, there's some guys who are crazy. They'll drive right into a tornado. They'll get right up next to it. And they're seemingly just fearless to this power that's on display of the Almighty. You know, they call it the finger of God. It's like, man, you have no clue. An F five is nothing. I mean, if he if he decides to put his finger down, we're all in trouble. He just speaks and the whole world disintegrates and then. But the amazing thing is, there's even a moment of cracking for all of them. And you want to know what it is? It's the lightning bolt. See, they're always videotaping and they're all tough guys, even with the tornado in front of them, Till that lightning bolt strikes next to them and everyone hits the deck. And they're jumping in cars and they look like little girls. It's just a fact. And... As this storm comes upon Israel, they realize the reality of what they've done. The evil in not going to God for salvation, but going to human means. Um, Verse 18 says, So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now, one of the reasons why I think they might have been afraid, uh, I've been reading through Joshua, and one of the ways uh, God used Joshua to defeat the Amorites are, are the Canaanites. If you read in chapter 10, verse 11, we read, and as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ancient, or the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Asa, and they died. Now more there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Well, what they already have in their history is when the Lord mounts up in His wrath with the storm, All sorts of people die from hail. And at this point in time in the talk, I think they're trying to figure out what's happening. Is this storm the storm that's going to wipe us out and kill us? And then we're going to see in a moment that it leads to repentance. And some people really are bothered by, you know, Well, you got you got to draw people to Christ by the love of God, not by the fear of God. Well, it's like it's the same thing. I mean, you can't. It's like different sides of the same coin. Listen to Colossians three five. We read. Uh, put to death, therefore, what is earthly earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So there's motivation here to fight sin. And one of the motivations the Bible gives us is God's wrath is coming. In First 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we read, that we're supposed to await for His Son from heaven who is raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath of God to come. Well, waiting on Jesus, the One of love, is escaping the wrath of God. You see, they come in a package together. You either get Jesus as your judge that will kill you, or as your Savior that will save you. Or as your judge that will only see His righteousness given to you. And so all throughout the Scripture, we're not people who are afraid to tell people the reality of what God says. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, that's good news. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, that seems like scare tactics. Which one is it? Well, I'll tell you what's true. Any sinner that faces God apart from Jesus Christ ought to be afraid beyond what they could ever imagine And any sinner who's trusted in Christ ought to be comforted beyond what they could ever imagine knowing that that Christ is their Savior. And we begin to see Samuel take a defense attorney. Now they are repenting and they're afraid. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servant to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. They're admitting it now. There's a healthy fear of God. There is a recognition of their sin. This isn't the first time they've asked Samuel to pray for them. You remember when the Philistines were about to destroy them in in chapter 7? And in verse 8, the people come to Samuel and say, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the Philistines. So they view Samuel as this advocate to the Lord. You remember what happened? Samuel prays for them, and he sacrifices a lamb. And at the moment he sacrifices the lamb, the Lord thundered against the Philistines and they were then defeated and so it's not the first time this has happened and so they confessed their sins and then look at what he says in verse 20 it's like a good good news witness in the courtroom here and samuel said to the people do not be afraid to which I got really frustrated this week (laughs) going through this text because earlier he tells them your problem is is you don't fear the Lord. And now they're fearing the Lord and he's saying don't be afraid. Look at what he says. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. That's a nod statement. He doesn't say don't be afraid. You're better than you think you are. He confirms, yeah, you're right. You are as wicked as you're now understanding that you are. And he says, but don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. So there's kind of tension here. And then he says, you yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Don't be afraid. Yes, you've done all these things, but, but don't stop with the Lord. Everything else is empty. You know, he's, remember what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel? You committed two evils. You've forsaken the fountain of living water, the one who can fill you up and give you life, and you've hewned out for yourself broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's what Samuel's saying here. Don't go after empty things. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, hope in Him. And I just want to say, why hope, though? You've already said if we're wicked, the hand of God is going to be on us. So are you are you feeling my pain as I'm going through this trying to figure out which way it is here? Verse twenty-one. Just if you write in your Bible, circle that verse. This is a verse we ought to tell ourselves every day. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. For they are empty. We will chase after emptiness so often when the Lord is there for us as Christians. And then look at what he says, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Now we get, now we're starting to get a little bit of understanding. Don't be afraid. Keep trusting in the Lord. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great namesake. Well, here's your hope. God's promises, God's covenant with Abraham is a one-way covenant. He will keep it. You know, what has He shown them so far in the history account? Yes, that his forefather, their forefathers have been sinful, but that God continues to deliver sinful people. You know, is this not a theme they should recognize? And now He's saying, for God's own namesake, He will not let His people go according to the promise You know, this is Ezekiel 36. This is the New Covenant promise. Ezekiel 10, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31. These are all texts that are key for you to understand the Bible. They're New Covenant texts. Promises about a new covenant different than the Old Covenant. Listen to Ezekiel 36 here. So what Samuel's saying is, There's hope because the Lord's going to act according to His own name. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22, listen to the new covenant. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you've come. He's saying, I'm not saving you because you were lovely. I'm saving you for my name's sake, which not only weren't you lovely, you profaned my name among the nations. And then He says, I'll vindicate the holiness of My great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate My holiness before their eyes. And here's what it looks like. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. How are you going to get clean? He's going to give you a bath. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my ordinances. He's saying there's going to be a people whom I give a new heart to. It's called the new birth, the spiritual birth Jesus is talking about in John 3. And not only does He give a new heart, but He puts His Holy Spirit in them. And those people, yes, they're still sinful now. And... Yes, they're on a trajectory of becoming more like Christ, but it doesn't seem that impressive all the time. But the Spirit of the living God is in them and all those people will not ultimately turn to other gods. They will dabble and repent and come back, but they will not full-fledged like so many in Israel when the Messiah comes reject their God and Savior. No, the new covenant people will have the Lord's Spirit in them and new life in them. And so this is what he's pointing towards. And the question, you know, how can he do, the tension is, how can he do this for these people when he's just said, if you go do this, my hand will be upon you in judgment. Because look at what he says in verse 23, "...Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I'll instruct you in the good and right way." He's saying I'm going to be your advocate. I'm going to pray for you. I reminded you of the promise of God. But then... So at this point, if the sermon ends here, we all feel good. But look at what verse 24 and 25 say. It's like we see Samuel as judge saying, now therefore, here's your walking orders. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Talking about an emotional roller coaster. You know, I'm just reading it and I'm feeling it. What would it have been like being the Israelites standing there trying to figure out if this is the day they die or not? How does it end for you when you read this? Well, after a lot of wrestling this week, I think it ends the way every Old Testament story ends. You see a glimpse of God's grace. You see deliverance. But it feels like, how can God save? You know, it's just like every one of God's saviors kind of falls short. The kings, how confident are they that their kings are always going to follow the Lord? how confident are they they're never going to turn to idols again? So you're left with this. How can how can this mess be sifted out if they got to obey and their king has to obey for things to be well for them? Well, the point of the sermon is what you feel, I think, lacking in this text. We're longing for more news, aren't we? And we know the news. Because God sends a king who, by the way, lives perfectly and never sins. All right, so there's one part of the equation. And in God's awesome plan, that king Goes to a cross, lived the life we could never live, and if we trust in him by faith, his sinless life gets put in your account, and then you can sing, It is well with my soul. Right? But the whole testament leaves you saying, All right, Moses is good, but then he's not perfect. David is good, but he's not perfect it seems like there's grace in the promises of God but how is it all going to work out well it all works out in the king that everyone is waiting for and we with the Holy Spirit those of us who trust in Christ by faith still can we not go other places as though there's a better master for us and that's that's what i get out of this oh how foolish for me to go anywhere other than the foot of the cross to the grace of god the one who fulfilled everything we needed him to fulfill here's the good news let me just read a few verses and we'll pray For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, this is Romans five, seven. Though for perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Good news, because that's what I I am. Right? Listen to Titus three, verses three through six. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ are saved. Isn't that good news? It's according to his mercy that myself, a sinner, can be saved. Second Corinthians 521, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God we might become the righteousness of God. What amazing good news we have. And we see all these things in Samuel. Samuel was on trial. Christ was on trial. Right? Samuel was a prosecuting attorney. Jesus walked this earth exposing sin as a prosecuting attorney. We see Samuel as the defense attorney being the advocate. We see Jesus as our perfect advocate. We see Samuel as a witness to God's grace and goodness. And obviously, we see Jesus as the very goodness. We see Samuel as judge giving our marching orders. And we see Jesus Christ sitting on the throne in heaven as our ultimate judge. And anything Samuel was lacking Christ is. Father, thank You so much for Your amazing grace that You show us. Lord, I'll never be anything more than a sinner saved by grace. That any progression I have in my sanctification is all to the praise of Your glorious grace as Your Spirit changes me. Lord, I pray that You would help me to repent of my sin, to leave idols behind and trust in You wholly. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.